and uh, we love you. Well, I okay. I don't know about that. All right. Slow. I knew you were gonna have a problem with that. That's too much for me. Are you talking to your parents? <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. And that seems like the definition of erotic. And I think that right? that is... Like, it's... I mean, obviously, it's also... You could say it's romance, because it's, like, it is romantic at I, times. I think that those two mean the same thing in terms of genre. Maybe. Yeah. Well, but they are... They are separate. I know, but I've read a lot of both, and, and it they, feels like, like the yeah, same I mean, thing. <laughs> I also feel like, um, in my head, there's a lot of kind of... Uh, tropes to erotica that I don't and romance mm-hmm. that I don't love like I they're they just I'm not into yeah like romance capital R yeah like, I don't I'm not I don't I don't want the like I'm gonna love you forever is here's some rose petals and stuff tbh there is like some harlequin romance that does that but a lot of it doesn't a lot of it's just about the fucking man and that I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. Though I do think, I think this book is the best of both worlds. I think that somehow it's, like, a great relationship. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's just, like, supportive and, like, wonderful. Yeah. And, like, something about that is just, like, so, I'm, like, how wholesome. Yeah. <laughs> also, sometimes they're banging and they're, like, dude, man. I'm, like, stop <laughs> that. But, like, also I'm a little bit, like, I mean, Wes, your name is Wes. So yeah, yeah. you probably do say dude when you're banging someone. But, yeah. like. Um, anyway, so then there's the second one. Oh, no. And I'm maybe 60% through the second yeah, one. Yeah, of course. And the second one has a real plot. Yeah. Um, there's still, like, more sex than maybe in a regular one. Yeah. But way less sex than, yeah. like, what I would consider erotica. Yeah. And also, now it's sad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm no. sorry? Yeah. What's happening oh, here? Oh, no. Um, you're, no, um, excuse me, the cover of this book is just more ass. <laughs> why, why, you don't get to be sad. Yeah. Like, what the fuck is yeah, that shit? That's not, not one I'm of them's for. depressed. Oh. Cute, and the other one is just like, I don't know, I'm a hockey player, I don't know how to do anything, I'm just trying to be here for you, but I'm just, ah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, oh my God, <laughs> this is terrible. Now I'm upset yeah. about these hockey players who are fucking each other in a condo on the harbor front in toronto it's <gasps> great though. also side note so wes is in the nhl and he's playing on toronto's hockey yeah. team which is not is like a knockoff maple leafs oh and yeah like another element of fantasy is that they're gonna win yeah Stanley it Cup. is a large element of fantasy happened it's one time so good one time we did that like though. when she throws that in or there's actually two female authors which i love but it's like when they throw that in where it's like yeah and the team in toronto is doing really well and i'm like damn this is like the most unbelievable thing in this book yeah this is like the most to be fair though the teams that do win are mostly made of canadian, canadian players, players. <laughs> this is not a statement about Canada's no i know players. it's i just as a as a hockey it's important yeah. it's very important that the people listening to this podcast clearly that know. know. Cle- yeah. yeah you know what i think like a lot of like older erotica and romance have those tropes but i think a lot of older fiction has those tropes i mean and yeah. a lot of the newer oh, we're gonna talk about this. yeah Isn't that's this a great a, oh my god but like some of the newer because like I read erotica because like I I mean I, like I also watch porn ethical porn we'll do an episode on it we are doing an episode we are on doing it. an it's episode a thing. On it. great 10 out of 10 I'll have lots of resources for you there <laughs> we're talking so fast I know <laughs> we're on speed we just get hyped up and then yeah. we keep going um 
but like I I like essentially like most of the porn that I use is like erotica because yeah. it's really easy to like pay for it's yeah. like you know I don't have to worry about like some set you know what I mean like it's, yeah. um and a lot of the newer stuff is like some of it's so much fun like yeah. some of it's like so silly and lovely and like great and I and I I'm all for it I hate people who poo poo it I'm like no no oh no book one <laughs> changed my life yeah yeah I was like this is amazing. Sex is usually not a turn on for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's one about two chicks on a roller derby team, which is like see, a similar exactly. idea, but it's it so silly and fun. Yes. There's like ones about these like tattoo artists in Greece who yes. fall in love. Like yes. sh- it's so yes. fun. Anyways, yeah. just thought I'd share. Yeah. It's like it's relevant. Relevant yeah. on a lot of levels. Yeah, on a lot of levels. Um, let's rant about something that isn't sad. Punky hockey players doing it. This makes me really upset. So basically, the TTC launched something that they're call- they're calling an etiquette campaign. Um, it's basically their way of quote unquote heavy heavy italicies quote unquote fair evasion problem. So like <laughs> Toronto introduced a new like uh, public transit fare system within the I mean it's been couple, a while it's been now, a couple like years. three years. Yeah. Which is just the fair system that has existed all over the world for literal decades at this point, and that yeah. now other places are moving away from. So we've just spent all this time installing an obsolete system. Yeah, but that's fine. But it's called Presto, and it's like one of those systems where you like buy shit from a machine and you load your money onto a card instead of having single fare tickets most of the time. Yeah, and they did it really fucking poorly, and yeah. like the tapping didn't work and and your the interface doesn't work yeah. a lot of the time fares weren't being paid and 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 people couldn't even buy their tickets from the machine anyway so it just resulted in a lot of people being like okay fuck it like then i'm not paying i mean also you know in general it's too expensive well it also like so like the the presto thing happened which was difficult and then within those two years there were i think two fair hikes yeah and what's interesting is like now they're hiking the fares again but they're hiking the student and child fair which like are the more there isn't a child fair uh they're trying to bring it back that's the thing they're trying to bring yeah so like you know a lot of things are happening and they what bothers me a lot is they release the stat where they're like well like Toronto's system has evaded like 73 million dollars and I'm like yeah in in fair and I'm like but you're not releasing what percentage of that was due to presto failures and a lot of it was when the system was first rolled out it's a little bit less clunky now but it still has a lot of issues but when it first rolled out there were major 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 issues and like oh my god my partner's brother like does technology and he explained it to me and I was like look I understand 75% of what you're saying but this is bad like I know it's not good didn't didn't work and like wasn't like it was overly complicated because for yeah. such a long oh, time for sure. we had both systems going at once bad. and it was like very unclear how we were supposed to use the presto and again this was not inventing the wheel no. like this system is in place yeah. literally well everywhere. it's like the metro card in new york or the oyster card or like yeah. you know montreal has it too the opal card i think the thing that really something i i like thought of recently that I don't think gets talked about about Presto is that it's only accessible to a certain amount of people. Like, I think, like, yeah, you can update it in stores. Some of the some of the machines take cash and some of them don't. So depending on where you are, you can load it with cash or you have to have a debit card, which is, like, another thing, right? And then they're like, oh, well, the great thing is, is if you, the, the key thing about the Presto is if you register it on the internet, then you don't lose your money. But a lot of homeless people and a lot of people who are low income 
don't have access to the internet, so they can't register it. So that kind of becomes obsolete for them as well. What do you mean that you don't lose your money? So like if I, uh, so like I load $50 on my card. If you lost the card. And I lose the card. If I have it registered, I still have that $50. If you are someone who doesn't have access to a regular access to a computer or the internet or whatever it is, like you've lost that money. Also though, I don't trust Presto and therefore don't want to register my card. (laughs) No, but they've been stealing money from my dad. And then there's no one for you to go to. That's the other problem. Or you like load a Metro pass onto it and it doesn't work and the TTC people are like, it's not me, it's Presto. I got fined like that. So like I loaded a Metro pass onto my card and then I tapped it and they were like, there's no Metro pass onto this card. And I was like, there is, this is the email where I bought it. And I got a ticket and I went down to the TTC people and I was like, here is the fucking email. Mm -hmm. But not everybody, again, like I'm at a position where I can take time off work and I can go down and I can fight this fine. If I wasn't, I would end up paying, I think it was like $325. Yeah, it's absurd. So, you know, like it's a really terrible, bad thing. And I think what makes it worse is these signs that they're putting up everywhere that etiquette can't yeah which is like essentially shaming people who again quote unquote fair evade i don't really like the term fair evade but like here we are um they're just like exceptionally aggressive passive aggressive passive aggressive and just like i don't know seem to be not understanding what the problem is because toronto is the least subsidized public transit system in the entirety of North America. It's one of the only systems that relies on ridership input to pay for the system. And that's insane. So, like, it's like, hey, do you ever think, like, why are you having an increase in fare evaders? Like, why has it become so, such an issue? Maybe because nobody can afford it. Like, I don't know. (laughs) And it's a necessity in the city. And it's also the biggest city in Canada. And it's like a little bit embarrassing how pathetic this transportation system is. Well, like there are places like Calgary that have like sliding scale passes where like depending on your income, you can like pay between like 50 and $125, which I think is like pretty good. Um, And they have like a very small ridership, right? Uh, So, and there's like other cities all over North America that have, although I, I, to me, like, that sliding scale or low income pass is not the end goal. I think like the end goal is having like government subsidized, properly funded yes. transportation. And I think that that's part of like part of many reasons that this campaign of the TTCs is so galling. Mm-hmm. Um, is that why are you wasting all of this time and also money because it costs you a shit ton of money to wrap all of those streetcars in your ads and to like post up those ads in the fucking subway um coming after me when who you need to be lobbying is the government because ultimately even if we're all paying our fares the ttc needs needs more funding like it just does well and one of the issues is we're not getting the funding from taxes this is like i always have trouble explaining this because I'm not particularly articulate, but I'm going to try because I think it's really important. So basically, like, people who own property in Toronto pay taxes to the city that is used to fund things that we use. What's happening now is because a lot of people can't afford to live in Toronto or because it's more economically opportunistic, they live in municipalities like Durham or wherever. But they have jobs in the city, and so they use public transit. So when we go to present policy and we're like, hey, this is our ridership, mm-hmm. it doesn't add up with the taxes and the money that's being funded into the system. Now, the TTC is also the only system that gets split funding from the federal government and the provincial government. I don't think it's getting federal funding anymore. Yeah. It used to. Um, 
So it's just like it's really frustrating because the system is being overused, like it's being it's over capacity in terms of use. And we're building lines out to places where we're not relieving pressure off the lines yes. that need to have pressure relieved from them. Yes. It's just like completely mismanaged. And that was like they had. Sorry, this gets me so angry. It's like they had 10 years, 10 years of updates that they just put off and put off and put off. Then about three years ago, they were like, oh, shit, we have to do all these updates. And this it just wrecked the system. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. It's like oh, we're going to hike up the prices and run this, again, campaign where we're like, how dare you not pay your fare? And it's like, excuse me, you're running a system that doesn't work. Yeah. The fact that I am constantly stuck in delays, that your fucking trains are coming off of the tracks, that I have to take shuttle buses every other day to work, that people don't get hired for jobs because they take public transit, and you want to up my fare... Fuck you. Or simple things like, so the city uses, like, salt. The salt gets in the drains and it erodes the tracks. And we haven't done anything about that, even yeah. though we know it's been a problem for the last, yeah. like, 12 years. Like, it's simple stuff where, like, the city the city has to take some responsibility as well. Like, both the city and the provincial government have to... Like, like the municipal yeah. government. Sorry, not the people in the city. I don't pour salt on the roads. But the, <laughs> but the city. <laughs> the, like, have to take some responsibility for, like this system something else i think it's really important to talk about along with these signs is an increase in fare inspectors and this is a problem for a lot of issues and it's worth noting that this campaign including the fare inspectors is like bad for the whole city but it's disproportionately harmful to marginalized people people experiencing homelessness people of color people below the poverty line it's bad like it's very 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 bad and there so there are fare inspectors which are only allowed to check your fare but there are special constables. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, which have been given authority by the Toronto Police Department. Oh, no. Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, no. yeah, it's not good. Special constables are sworn in by the Toronto Police Services Board under the Police Services Act and are granted limited police powers. And now I've read the legislation on this and I've read the acts they're empowered by. It's very, very vague which is never good. No. It's never good. Also, there are plain clothes inspectors now as well, which I don't think is something they should be allowed to do. Um, So that, and to me, that is the most, like the fair hikes are bad, the signs are garbage, but that is the most concerning part because that is where people are going to get hurt. Well, and we've already seen, there was a video a few weeks ago of these fair inspectors, or maybe special constables, I don't know which ones they were, but everyone just calls them fair inspectors. And they were trying to get this man off the streetcar because he didn't pay his fare. And he wouldn't get off the streetcar. So one of them tackled him to, like, the wall of the streetcar. While the other one pepper sprayed him. Yeah. What? Well, and I've seen it. Like, it's absurd. That kind of force is insane. Over 325. But, like, just in general like how how can you possibly how can we possibly be giving these people this authority like to just go in and start uh, manhandling people it's an, it's it's just not a solution no and it's like a real indictment on like again like who gets hurt because i've seen it where it's like you know like a white woman or a white man it's like oh there was a mistake in the fares inspectors like fares sorry <laughs> fair inspector is like yeah okay no problem just like make sure to get it next time or like okay well i'm gonna have to write you a ticket but then it's like a person of color or someone who's experiencing like homelessness or something and who's non-violent yeah 
and then the inspector becomes violent. So it's like, who do we allow, who is allowed to quote unquote forget their fare and who isn't? Yeah, and also let's be honest, like we have a terrible broken system and city. I meant to say city, but I said system. Both are true. You know what? Yeah, they're both (laughs) accurate. Uh, Where like rent is incredibly high and there is not access to low income housing or to shelters and it gets fucking cold. It gets cold like you're gonna die cold and like people do die from exposure to the cold in the city every year and we know that as a result like the public transit ends up having to take on some of the burden of the people who have nowhere else to go and need to escape the cold and while i think that that's a problem in the sense that that's that it is bad that that's the only yeah resource they have is libraries and and public transit like we need to we need to be working on on that problem the tdc is not again it's another like not solution but do not as a fair inspector be kicking people off the public transit when it's like negative 30 outside yeah like how goddamn dare you again like a somebody's life is worth more than 325. Yeah. Wait lists for homeless shelters in this city are up to six months long, and in the winter, that's not acceptable. Also, not to mention that, like, if you're LGBTQ or you're trans, sometimes you don't get accepted into some of the biggest tra- uh, shelters yeah. in the city. Also, getting... Uh, there, I think a lot of people, like, don't understand how shelters work. Like, you don't just show up and they're like, here's a bed. Yeah. It's like, you have to have ID. Now, a lot of homeless people don't have ID, or people experiencing homelessness don't have ID. Like, a lot of trans people, their IDs aren't considered valid. So, like, having, like, a moment of refuge to get warm or whatever is important when there's no other solution. And now there should be other solutions. And I would like there and will fight for there to be other solutions. But it's just, like, incredibly sad. And it's incredibly frustrating to feel like the city is not taking any of it seriously. And then with these signs, it's like, okay, so it's almost like you're mocking it. Like, it feels almost like you're, like, mocking the problem. Like, I just, every time I see them, am enraged because of how unjust this city is. Yeah. How unlivable. It's so expensive. And then to have your condescending fucking ads yeah telling me that like i should pay for this system that doesn't work the pathetic amount of subway lines that we have like the yeah. the inefficient way in which it services the city like that there are whole sections of the city that you just can't access by public transit no. you know like how how dare you how, how dare, dare you, you say that I owe you anything. Yeah. Well, I remember, I wonder if it was last year. I think it was last year or two years ago. I went to a city planning meeting on the TTC because it was when they were moving to partial privatization. And one of the the um, most important things for me, which I asked questions about, was how do you justify having, a, and now I think living wage has gone up, but how do you justify having a living wage of 1825 but only having a minimum wage of, what is it, 1450 now? I think it's still 14 flat because still. we didn't get, uh, because we got a, a Doug Ford in. Yeah. And he was like, nah, no hikes. So either way, both of those are bad. So how do you justify, ha- and, and, and that is on the low end for calculating a living wage. Oh, you, yeah. <laughs> it is. But, you know, even still, that's a high disparity. And so when you take that into account, if the TTC continues to raise its fares and grocery stores continues to raise their, raise their prices, property taxes continue to go up, but minimum wage doesn't go up. 
what are you gonna do? And they had no answers. Yeah. It was Byford at the time, I think. Had no, nobody had the don't. city, the TTC. Nobody, nobody said anything about but it. They don't. They don't want answers. Like they're not looking for answers. No. The only answers they're looking for is like, how do we get by another year yeah. making money? Yeah. I, you know, everything about the way that the city is run is like kind of a mess. I mean. Looking at the fact that a few years ago we got new subway cars that don't fit on the two major lines. Like, they only fit on one of the two major lines that we have. What? Not to mention the streetcar doors. With right? the streetcars with the doors that don't open. We got new streetcars, but nobody thought to measure the platforms at the stops. And then it turned out that the doors couldn't open at the stops, so they had to redo all the stops. It's like, nobody is putting in any they're just selling out these contracts who to whosoever is cheapest whoever is paying for them yeah. the most like it has nothing to do with quality or like any kind of planning so fuck you like yeah. and also to some extent in a city like this you know transportation is a is a right like yeah. we, we have to have access to public transportation yeah. or this city crumbles because everybody can't drive no. we can't sustain that we don't have enough parking we don't have is. enough parking the roads are not big enough <laughs> so also the roads are bad because we live in a in something in a climate wherein it gets very hot and then very cold it doesn't matter what you do the roads will always be terrible yeah so you need people taking public transit. You need that. Yeah. And then on top of that, we sh- we're promoting public transit because, you know, don't kill the environment. The environment, though. So on so many levels, like, this is a thing that you should be working to make accessible to me, not acting as though it's something that you're graciously giving me. And that's what it feels like. And I think that is is a direct reflection of the partial privatization. of like yes. that. Like, that is, like, exactly what this feels like. Where you're like, ah, yes, here we are. That's what capitalism feels like. It's irritating. Eat the rich. Eat the rich. Eat the rich. <laughs> to quote us and uh, many other people. <laughs> Eat the rich. Yeah. I keep wanting, want, like, I'm going to put a Sharpie in my bag, and then every time I see one of those ads, I'm going to deface it. Yeah. Because every time I see one, that's all I think about. I'm just like, no. No, it, it, it really is like you're sitting on your communion just staring at it, and you're like, oh, my God, like what like is that? Burning rage. It is burning rage. Uh, well, I'm going to uh, put some resources in the show notes. Uh, two of them are petitions, and one of them is an actual, like, despite me, like, not liking city news that much, there's actually a really great, like, two-minute segment about what is actually going on and why it's a problem. So I'll put that there, too. It's, like, really accessible. I thought it was great. Usually I see city news stuff, and I'm like, this is dumb. But yeah. that was great. So... Let's get into today's topic, which is the women's in the fictions. Yeah, I think we're mostly going to be talking about books, but a couple of movies and shows yeah, peppered yeah. in. Um, let's talk about this thing that happens a lot in books where they're like, here's uh, one woman, mm-hmm. and she, you know, is cool, and that's all you get. <laughs> I did my job, right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Just look, look at her. The main character is a woman. God, don't done. you? Can't you see that it's a feminist? <laughs> can't you see <laughs> feminism? Look at it. One uno One, woman. That's it. That's all you. Two yeah. two women. That's too many feminists. Yeah. <laughs> we can't keep track. We'll confuse them. Yeah. Uh, we'd have to come up with another three love interests for them. Yeah. Oh my God. How accurate. Like. And so we talk about this a lot because we will read books that have female characters that we we 
we like and yet it somehow they also end up like aggravating us yeah if that makes sense yeah i mean a book series where i think this came up the most with us was a darker shade of magic yeah. by the schwabs uh it's fun check it out the first book is a slog but it gets better it doesn't matter anyways but there's like basically more or less one female character in that book yeah i mean you know there's like women flit yeah about. i'd say by the third book this gets better like this yes. is much much better and there are more women although not in the same way that she's a, i just I think, think it's important yes. to note that like as like and the author talks about this too and i'll link that in the show notes as well but like as the author grows like she's yes. she becomes very aware of that which yes. is cool i'm into that anyway yes. sorry there's continue. growth so this character this female character's name is lila and i don't have a problem with lila like she's a good character yeah. but she's like, the only female character for the majority of the series, yeah. who, you know, who has, like, a voice, and and who's, like, a, a protagonist. And so she gets irritating yeah. because she is the representation, then, of women in this whole narrative. And yeah. one character can't embody diversity. Like, she's one person. Yeah. And so then you start to be angry because you're like, okay, well, of course she's fucking skinny yeah well and i think the thing is is like what happens is particularly like i think this happens anytime you have only one uh female character but i think in particular with this character she just fell into a lot of narrative tropes like that i'm not like other girls there's literally a line where one of the other characters is like well other women are interested in trinkets and yeah. rah, rah, rah. and she's like not me and i'm like <laughs> meanwhile like a lot of the men in that story are just like obsessed with trinkets like literally one of them is just like obsessed with trinkets and his coat and yeah, but that's that is a plot line <laughs> yeah and, it, and then that's acceptable for him because he is a man but it is not acceptable for her because that means that she would be weak so like that is what it is and it's like oh she and this I think we both talked about that really irritates me too it's like oh she's so thin look like a boy except when wear dress then she's sexy thin yes 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 and it's just like fuck off you're like like just because because and I think the reason why that bothers me is because it's like you're creating a character not only for the other men in the book but for male like then that's the sole purpose of that character you're essentially putting down every other woman in that story and every woman who's reading that book yeah. Like, she's not like you. And then this whole emphasis on, like, any time that a woman is strong, she's masculine. Yeah. Right? This this need that, like, fully developed, like, interesting people automatically embody all masculine traits. Yeah. And automatically shun all feminine traits. Because yeah. everybody knows that if you like anything feminine or, like, are in any way feminine, then you're just ditzy and you have nothing to add. Yeah. Well, and, like, to go back, and that's why I really like listening to this author talk about it, because, like, she, like, in the first couple of books, especially in contrast to, like, Amira, who is, like, one of the main characters' mother, who is, like, portrayed, because in the first two books, you don't really get an explanation of why she is the way that she is, but she's portrayed as kind of meek and very fragile, and in the third book, you get this, like, elaborate explanation, and she actually becomes, like, ultimately one of my favorite characters in the book, and... And the author touches on that. She was like, I was working through my own internalized misogyny and I did not realize it until that second book. And then I was like, oh. Oh. (laughs) Um, And I think also being a, she talks about being a queer woman writing as well. There's like this pressure to fit into like this like idea of like what a quote unquote queer woman is and like who she should be. Um, 
And so, like, that, I, I'll find the interview because it's really, really interesting. Yeah. And you can see that happening. But I, and I, one of the reasons I think that happens is because that's probably the only representation of women that yeah. that author saw. Yeah. Well, another thing that, like, we were talking about before to me is that what, like, I think it gets very hard because we can sit around and talk about these sort of, like, tropes and cliches in a, like, theoretical academic yeah. way. But I think that they're really solidified in not necessarily the way that we see women in real life, but certainly how we expect women to function within a, a fictional narrative, right? And it's so people sit down and start writing and all of these things, these tropes and these frameworks and these plot devices, they start coming out and it's almost impossible to avoid. And then you try to avoid it, and then I feel like that's what happens. Like, the yeah. overcorrection sometimes is that, like, well, she's not like other girls. Yeah. Because what they're trying to say, even though this isn't how it comes across, but what I think that they're trying to say isn't that she's not like other girls in in that she's, like, all women are terrible. But again, like I said, I think that's how it comes across. But that they're not like other girls and that they're not, like, the other portrayals of women in fiction that have come before them. Yeah we have a tendency to like devalue things that are feminine in real society and in fiction. Yes. Like I think that comes across, across, across. in both ways. Um, and I think part of that comes to, down to like stripping away certain nuance and complexity of women. An example of this is from the Marvel movies, which like, you know, it's a lot. I love a good action film. Show me Keanu Reeves running shit over with a car, I'm there. But, like, the Marvel movies are a lot. Anyway, so, like, there's, like, three women in the Marvel Universe, maybe four? Don't know. They're all essentially the same woman. They're all an archetype. Now, everybody in the Marvel Universe is an archetype. But because there are, like, I don't know, like, 11 or 12 men, you get 11 or 12 different archetypes. So, therefore, men, capital M as a category, is afforded nuance and complexity. Yeah. Whereas women, capital W... Yeah. women as a category in society are not afforded that nuance and complexity well exactly it comes back to this problem of like you know if you only have one female character it, she can be a great character but it's just that then that's all i get that's the only representation yeah. i get and there's no way for a character to embody diversity and and you know like i think that there should be shitty female characters yeah. like not terribly written but like People who are not who good people. Are not good people, or like who are shallow, or who are whatever. But the problem is that when you only get one shot, yeah. do not miss this chance. <laughs> Blow this opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Mom Spaghetti. Yeah. You, know, you only have that one character to embody all of womankind. It's you. They it fails. It automatically out of the gate fails. And yeah. then on top of that, it's like you know the. Where's my female relationships? In a world where you're gonna have gender, seeing like how the women interact with the men and then seeing how the women interact with the women, like seeing, like you get to, sh you, get, you have more to play with, yeah. right? Well, and I also think that that speaks to like not having any non-binary or trans characters in like, unless it's a book about specifically, yes. because it's, and, and that goes to like the, sort of like just like seeing people interact like trans people and non-binary people exist in society and when you omit them from fiction entirely you you are set you are you are 
narrowing your um, scope for relationship and your, storytelling and, storytelling. Yeah. and, I, and I think like using everything you have and like and I also think and now I am being preachy and so foxy <laughs> but I think it's Ava DuVernay who like ugh, I just like love she uh, directed A Wrinkle in Time and she also has done a couple amazing uh, documentaries on Netflix but she was talking about A Wrinkle in Time and she was like it's really important for like young black girls to see themselves on screen in this way, but it's also important for young white boys to see that they can take lead from a young black woman yeah. and to see that like they don't have to act like racist little assholes. <laughs> so like uh, from from a preachy soapbox position, like seeing reading people's stories, like reading different people's perspectives, because we take a lot from fiction. I think like yes. one of the things that fiction does is it. One, I think, like, it tells you a lot about yourself. Like, and two, I think it tell you, you infer a lot about yourself from reading. Especially when you're, like, a teenager and, like, you're insecure and you're like, I don't know who I am. And you read all these books that are like, oh, I'm not like other girls. And you're like, okay, I'm not like other girls. Okay, yeah. I'm tough, I'm tough, well, I'm tough. all of this, like, <laughs> yeah. then, right? Like, yeah, so if you're not reading different stories, if you're not seeing different people interact with each other, then, like, who are you going to grow up to be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and, like, the media we consume matters in a lot of ways. This is why representation matters. I mean, it matters because, yeah, uh, we have a society that's really terrible at communication. Oh, for and sure. And so a lot of the times we take our cues from mm -hmm. the narratives that we're presented with, whether it's in books or television or video games or fucking influencers on TikTok. Whoever know, it man. is now, yeah. So it matters that we see diversity. It matters that we see different people interacting with each other but but different people in this how different people handle the same situation yeah. as well it's also just interesting and it's also just interesting well this is what i mean like it's not even just from like this like political it's, yeah it's like also just good fucking writing yeah like yeah, if you can't appreciate like what it means to individuals at least appreciate what it means to the craft yeah um but also I, yeah i am someone who specifically books because they mean so much to me but like i have found books that uh where where you have a character who is going through or experiencing what you are going through and experiencing mm -hmm. and it is so impactful mm -hmm. and it like means so much and it helps me yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> oh so beautiful what <laughs> and this is why i love yeah. i just love books but like so you know, everybody needs, like, we need yeah. that. We need to see ourselves uh, in, in these characters. And when we don't, we try and cut ourselves up to fit in, into them. And, and that's terrible. Which is why, like, that only one woman trope thing is, like, and again, like. Because we can't all just be that we, one we, woman. We can't. And, it, like, and, and, it, and it, it leads to other things, too, right? So, like, Sophia, I have, like, a really important question for you. Oh, my God. Yes. It's so important. So, like, you're reading a book, right? I am reading a book. Right, okay. And there's, like, <laughs> like a, a female character in it, right? Oh, my goodness. Like, how do you know she's important, though? <laughs> like, how do you know she's the main character? How do you know she's the protagonist? I don't know. Oh, my goodness. This is really hard. This is really hard. Let me think. Let me think. Um, is it because she's adored by every single male character? in the whole book yes oh my god i knew yes, it. yes and perhaps you're reading this book and you're like are there no other women on the planet is nobody what <laughs> or like don't we have more important things to do 
Like, save the world, maybe? Yeah, no. big subtweet at Twilight. <laughs> Gotta solve this love triangle business. Yeah. Yeah, love triangles are terrible only... Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> I... I... Like, romance is bomb and I love cool. Romance. It's, you know, I'm not mad at a romance subplot. I'm just mad that it feels like every time there's a female lead character the romance is like can't just be a subplot first of all it has mm-hmm. to be on par with what is the main plot even if the main plot is way more complex yeah. and interesting the romance has to be right up there with it and b lots of times it follows this thing where like if it's not a love triangle it's like bella and twilight where for some reason every fucking man who comes into contact with her is in love with her like maybe it's because of her ovaries because they're magical, right? Then there's the werewolf man, and he wants the baby. Oh, this is, like, all messed up. <laughs> Taylor it's no good. It's um, bad, bad, not good. I think it's that, like, when there is a heterosexual romance introduced, I think you said this really well, and I'm going to steal it. Please, Plagiarism. Please uh, it's just everybody, the minute there's a heterosexual romance, everybody immediately falls into their, like, designated Rolls. tropes, yes. like, very, very easily and very, very uh, strongly, I guess. Um, so it's not that I don't like romance. I just think what happens when it gets written is that, again, it's that stripping away of that nuance, right? It's just everybody becomes a parody or a caricature of their gender. And yeah. you're like, that's bizarre. And for some reason, romance does it more than anything else. You can have these characters who are, like, super interesting and complex and, like, maybe different from what you normally see. And then all of a sudden you put them in this heterosexual romantic relationship. And it's, yeah, it's like, bam, and now this is what we do. I think like, and I think a lot of the times the reason why this bothers me so much is because it often happens in books where again, there is only a couple female characters. Yes. It's like maybe that male character falls into a caricature of his gender, but there are other secondary prominent male characters that you can look to for nuance where how many turn into a drinking game. How many times am I going to say nuance a million, (laughs) but it's just like, it is what I mean. And, and I think, you know, when there's only one or two women, when she falls into that caricature, it becomes hard to extract and it becomes hard to sort of view it in a larger framework yeah well this is why one of many reasons but like so I got into this habit of just being like yeah I just I'm not interested in reading books with women (laughs) sometimes period because I just find it so frustrating but certainly not that have romantic plot lines that are heterosexual like I'm just like I can't I don't care anymore. The one recent um, outlier there is this young adult book that I read. It's The series has a wacko name, but I'm just going to call it The Cruel Prince because that's the name of the first book. It just did it really well. Like, I was talking to you about it, and I just, like, I just thought that the female lead was done really well. I thought that the way that the romance was done really well. I mean, you know, like, it's not that you couldn't find fault with anything in it, but it was just one of the first books that I'd read in a long time that like was sort of following the the regular sort of trajectory of like a, a female protagonist I don't know in a young adult novel except that she I don't, didn't feel like they were trying to force anything yeah. on her like she was just a person she wasn't like a girl who had to be a man she was just kind of like a girl with political ambition yeah which was a nice twist on it like unlike Katniss who can shoot an arrow 
which is cool and like kick yeah. butt but has no ambition really yeah. at all it's the men in the story who have ambition Peta has romantic ambition yeah. gail has political yeah. ambition Katniss just has like I, I want i guess i want to be alive ambition yeah um you know like she yeah has political ambition and on top of that will fuck over her love interest <laughs> in the service of that political ambition and that was really great to read yeah because it was a just satisfying as like a reader yeah but b there's this bit of me that was like because like we don't get to see no, that not very and often. especially like the hero doesn't get to be that kind of multifaceted yeah like um you maybe expect him to fuck her over yeah but she fucks him over and she's like yeah like you're cute, but, uh, I'm still gonna s- steal this crown. Yeah. Thanks. I, like, I'm, I feel bad about it. Feel <laughs> but bad. here we are. <laughs> but ultimately, and, and something that never seems to happen in these stories, like, it always seems to be that the romantic plotline, again, supersedes everything else that's happening in the female's life, right? Yeah. Like, she will, the ending of the world gets put aside while she tries to choose between fucking Gale and Peta. Yeah. And it's like, that's actually not, like, why, why is that what we're focusing on? And this book, it just felt like it didn't really do that, even though it does end up having, like, a really lovely romantic plotline. And I was like, see, like, this is fine. Like, this is good. Yeah. Like, I don't need you to get rid of that. I don't need her to be emotionless, which is another thing that they tend to do. Yeah. Katniss is emotionless. I know I'm hating on Katniss right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's true. It is true. Like, they're just, like, they can't have emotions. Like, no, you can feel things, and you should feel things because yeah. it makes you more interesting. It's just that, like, you should just also have some kind of fucking agency. Yeah, agency, and you should be afforded the same humanity that men are afforded, right? Yes. The same complexity. Okay, I have three points because you said so many good things. So yeah, I said a lot of things, and I'm gonna hate listening to that back because none of it was said very clearly. It was. I got it. Well, that's why I have three points because yeah, I'm so excited. You understand me even when I don't say words. Like Fair I'll enough. just like make a sound and a hand gesture, and you'll be like, "Yes." <laughs> Okay, I'll go backwards. That's why I actually think that the movies of The Hunger Games do a much, much better job than the books. And one of the reasons is because I think, um, especially in Catching Fire, they they make her more balanced in terms of the romance and the political, sto- political story, which is great. But I also think that ambition thing you're talking about is really interesting because in the movies, to me, it's family. Her thing is family. Yeah. I don't think it comes across in the books as well. I think they do a better job in the movies of being like, I'm going to protect my family or when she protects Rue it's like people people are she wants to protect people that's what matters to her and for some reason in the movie that comes across more clear to me and it might just because I like the movies overall better so I have a movie bias I think I think that it I think that you're right that her motivation is to protect her family I think that the reason that that becomes weak for me is that when it gets into the actual plots of the books yeah the family isn't there yeah and so then it's like I get that that's her motivation, but it's also, like, it ends up being, again, like, superseded by this love triangle that's always there. Yeah. Always in your face. Exactly. That's kind of what I mean. That's why I think it comes across stronger in the movies, because the love triangle kind of, not that it takes a back seat, but for some reason, I think it must be because you're not hearing her internal monologue all the time. Um, it doesn't come across quite as strongly, and and I, I just, there's, like, the way that, Maybe it's the acting, I don't know, or the direction, but the way that she so fiercely protects, like, Rue or, like, whoever, like, 
th- that to me comes across more whereas in the books you're right it kind of just feels like waffling yeah. for three books oh, God, yes i mean <laughs> she, she but i don't know if i agree with that 100 percent because i it definitely is toned down from the books because you can't hear her internal monologue yeah. which is like so great <laughs> but but it 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 those like i couldn't get through the second movie because it was just like yeah. too much it's too much of this dumb line love triangle like her relationship yes. with with her sister in the books and in the movies is never developed no which is another problem for me because yeah her motivation is this relationship to her, to her sister to her mother and like those are the most underdeveloped characters in this whole yeah. series i'm not saying it's perfect i was just saying like i can see where in the movies that like it, they're trying to do a better job of what happened sure. in the books right well and i think certainly the movies are more politically minded in that they use their imagery yeah. To, to harp on the sort of uh, political narratives. Yeah. Well, and I don't think by any means the movies are perfect. I just think, like, the ambition point was something I never thought of. I thought it was, like, a, it's a really interesting and, like, good point. Kudos. Just hit my <laughs> thank hat. You, thank you. Um, but I, and I think for me, and again, I, I, you rewatched it recently. I have not. So that's another thing. I think I saw Catching Fire when it came out, and then I rewatched yeah. it maybe once when it got to Netflix. So yeah. it's been a while. But I do think, like, uh, I think the point that I'm trying to make is that, like, things that are traditionally fem- considered traditionally feminine, quote unquote, like family or like, you know, protecting people, yeah. things that are, are more rooted in nurture can still be ambitions and that can yes. still be valid. But I think you're right that there's too much focus on the love triangle for that to have come across, especially because there is no development with her family, right? Yeah. But I think, I think I just a way round way of saying that like your ambition doesn't have to be something that we traditionally see as quote unquote male which is kind of bullshit anyway but you know what I mean it can be something but it just has to be yes just have it just pick a thing because again it's like the problem with all of these like women specifically when it comes to love triangles but like so you have like Katniss you have Bella you have Rory Gilmore who like just can't make decisions yeah so not only are their whole storylines co-opted by these romance plots but when it comes down to it like none of them can even fucking they don't even have agency in that well it goes back to the agency i was just gonna say it goes back to the agency thing something i read recently also ya that was really good and that had a it's not a heterosexual relationship because she's not heterosexual but it's a relationship with somebody who is a cisgender male um it's called Ramona Blue, and it's oh, like yeah. you pick it up, you're like, "This is silly," but then you're like, "Oh wow!" Be silly, but also, like, it's silly, but also it's not. Like, essentially, like she, it's a she's in sort of like a rural town, and she's out as a lesbian, and she has queer friends, and that's something that also that's a whole other thing. But that's something that also doesn't happen even when there's queer romance for some reason. They don't interact with any other yeah. queer people. They only interact with other straight people, and you're like that doesn't ring true <laughs> like that's yeah. not right but it's about her like she develops feelings for like this guy and it's kind of about how like that doesn't invalidate her identity as a queer person but she was afforded all of this like nuance and complexity where like she kind of fucks up with this girl but then also like that doesn't invalidate the fact like it's she just has so much like uh depth in yeah. that one character and it's not because she's like perfect and does everything right yeah. but it's because like I don't know she just gets to be a human and that comes across like in that 
heterosexual relationship that she's in or again not a her but still in that relationship that presenting relationship they they seem to avoid those tropes in a way that like i don't usually see so it was really cool i was like that's awesome yeah well in general i just really like characters that are a little bit more like there's nothing interesting to me about a character who just is good yeah uh, for like a lot of reasons one because I don't think that just being objectively good is always useful I also don't think that it exists really well, I think it, we could pretend it, it exists but doesn't it doesn't exist and also is somehow sometimes just like flat out unhelpful like one of my least favorite tropes this happens in the expanse uh, which is a fantasy book uh, it's sci-fi sci-fi oh, i shit, only know right. that oh but God, no so I, hey you know what don't be I sorry I just did that. the only reason i say that is because i can hear him in my head no no <laughs> it is it is not even remotely fantasy i don't know why they came out of my mouth it's because we've been talking about fantasy. i know it's just because i think about fantasy a lot <laughs> <laughs> it's like such a great shot it is anyways it's sci-fi and there's this moment where the main character and his shipmate slash love interests are having this issue because you know in the course of the two books previous the main character has had to kill some people like not in a murder way (laughs) they're put in in extreme circumstances and he has to like shoot people and he's kind of traumatized by that and other things that have happened to him and she's all like you're changing like the old James would never have done this. And I, there's a bit of me that's like, okay, but also, bitch, like, <laughs> that's not fair. Like, she's a great character. But I'm just saying, like, yeah. also, if he hadn't done those things that are maybe, like, morally gray, yeah. you would be dead. <laughs> like, you would be dead. Yeah. So he had to do those things. Yeah. And it's, like, not fair for you to sit here on your goddamn high horse and be like, well, I didn't shoot anybody. Because, like, well, that's nice for you. Yeah. But, like, we didn't exist in a situation where that was an option for all of us. Yeah. So some of us had to kill a man. Yeah. Like, you know, I was just yeah. like, that stuff I find, like, so... Like, that kind of moral superiority and the way that the narrative is written is, like, you're kind of supposed to side with her, right? Mm -hmm. Like, she is correct. She is the moral high ground. And there's this bit of me that's like, no, she doesn't. Yeah. Like, practically, that's bullshit. And she has benefited from the sacrifices that he has made for his mental health. (laughs) Like, so that they can keep living. (laughs) And, like, that's that, that kind of morality. I'm just like, no. Like, nobody, you don't get through anything just never having to cross a line especially yeah. not in a fictional plot where like shit has to happen like yeah. all right fine in my everyday life i could probably not cross lines because <laughs> nothing is at risk yeah do i maybe cross lines <laughs> but i i don't have to but in a plot where like things are happening like you don't get through that without crossing a line but I don't know. I think it's important because, like, I, I think in your everyday life, you might not have, like, murder high stakes. But there are things where, like, like and, and I know this is something I struggle with a lot because I'm always like, I have to make every perfect decision all of the time. I have to be perfect and I have to be good. It's a big part of my identity. And I think a lot of that comes from not reading a lot of particularly nuanced fiction, like, as, yeah. a, as a tiny uh, human and then as, like, a slightly larger human. Um and that's why now I try to read stuff where like, because it, it teaches me that like, it's okay, I, I can make a mistake and I, I can take responsibility for it um, and still be a good person yeah. um, or whatever. So like, I think it is, it's important. I think it, it is also important for real life. Again, it, no, I'm not going around, I'm not responsible for like a battalion or anything. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's, it's important for a lot of reasons because it's like because human beings are you know imperfect and when we look at things in terms of just like bad and good it's not helpful like i, I think that it's fiction not. serves a purpose right and it's to kind of hold a mirror up to the world yeah. and to allow you to step into the lives and perspectives of people that you otherwise would not have yeah to try and think like someone else and experience things like someone else and, and so it's it, fiction is almost uh it's filling out the world for you more in, yeah. in a way and if all that does is kind of harp on these very like black and white yeah. like good and bad like life is not good and bad and you have to be able to understand yeah nuance yeah like and you have to be able to hold two contradicting things at one time because most human beings are contradictions yeah well and to like tight that's why a solution to having like quote-unquote good female characters isn't to just make perfect versions of people yes. because yes. then you fall into the same problem yes. of sort of like forcing women into this like very narrow box, box. I don't, I didn't do the motion for box, but thank you. I was like, and I think that's why there was like this, I think it may be like a couple years ago, there's this like surge and celebration of like male romances between two men by mainstream culture, which is like the most part hetero culture. I don't mean that in like, I just mean like that is what mainstream culture is because it's like men, we are taught to afford men complexity when in, in media, like it's like, um, or maybe that's complicated. That's yeah, a loaded I was statement. Say that's that's not what hard. I mean. We don't afford men emotion. Yeah. <laughs> but we uh, afford men full personhood. Yes. <laughs> so I think um, when you're reading, uh, and and you said, and I had never thought of it until you said it, where it's like when you're reading two men be romantic with each other. I don't know why I'm <laughs> miming it. I am miming it. Um, romantic with each other and and as a woman you feel less exhausted and like beaten down by it because you don't have to insert yourself into like a caricature you don't have to insert yourself into a whatever and so that's why i think you see this like surge and celebration queer women in fiction took longer to come to the surface in pop culture um because for a while when it was portrayed in books or film it was still about catering to men it was still about being like, here are these two women and they're going to have sex because it's hot for you. Right. Also, internalized sexism. <laughs> like how we feel about ourselves and like how people like that. That's also a thing, too. And it's I think now like you're starting to see sort of like a surge in the same way because people are just getting tired of the tropes, I think. Yeah. But I do think like sort of, you know, back to this male gaze thing, like like the idea that women exist for men to share a personal anecdote oh please if i may please do so i think like growing up there were i i didn't read any there was no book that i read that had queer representation in it yeah. i don't think yeah, same. which is kind of wild now right Cause it is wild like, now i know it's, it, it's everywhere but at the time i couldn't and so like i had a really hard time pinpointing my identity and i like thought i was insane and i like really hated myself because like there's this thing that you are and you're like that doesn't make sense it, it's who it's representation who, is so you hate yourself um and then it wasn't until like my 20s and i saw like a youtuber and i was like that's what that is there we go but and then i so i started to seek out media but at that time i don't think it was quite at the forefront as much so a lot of the bi representation i found 
was catering to men like it was about like how bisexuality is palatable to men or even like it's a joke in a sitcom or it's a whatever or even in the l word which i was like oh i'll watch that and it was like well no bi women are just straight so like you know what i (laughs) like a literal line from the thing that male gaze it becomes so prominent and it seeps into everything and so i think when you're looking at two men in love with each other you don't have to cater to that in the same way that you do even when you're two women yeah yeah right and i think that representation of women in media largely largely teaches us that no matter what where or where our identity falls we in some measure have to cater to men yeah and that's exhausting yes (laughs) yeah the segue into the trope of the manic pixie dream girl which i think is like dying out a little bit i think so too had its like real heyday when we were (laughs) when we were in high school but it's it's like that it's like so your sexuality exists for men whether you're attracted to men or not Mm -hmm. um and then also your like mental illness exists for men like you have this image of like this pixie dream girl who like kind of needs you to take care of her and save her but whose like mental illness is like very kind of like charming and quirky and and just exists is written in a way and presented in a way that is meant to be like appealing and like a little bit seductive like a little bit like i don't know she's wild like she needs you to like tame her and take care of her and that's fucked up for so many reasons for so many reasons it's probably my least favorite trope i think so this is why i'm glad that it's dying out and it's always mood disorders again yes i have a mood disorder it's like not fun no one comes and takes care of you and brushes your hair and listens to death cab for cutie in the bath (laughs) that doesn't happen i think like it's interesting because when i was in high school i loved john green right we all loved john green and it's sad because when he talks in interviews i'm like oh i kind of like you like you're interesting and then you read his books and you're like oh no you're like oh this sucks like this is no good um it's just like everything a woman experiences has to be attractive or palatable to men in some way and i think that like that again also exhausting it's like even my mental illness has to be desirable in some way the the purpose that female characters serve in narratives often is to bolster the male characters or to bolster male desire um and that is frustrating and i think that is also part of what is playing into that trope of the uh the love triangle or having all of the men be in love with her like part of it is because you're only valid if you have male attention yeah um but the other part of it is being like look men this is a girl for you to fantasize about yeah like this is this girl exists for you like this this is here she's strong but like also sexy and beautiful yeah there you go she's gonna run to the middle of the street in the nighttime she's gonna run into the middle of the street do you know how many times that it comes up in shows it comes up in books like every woman with a with a mood disorder just runs in the middle of the street it's true actually you're correct (laughs) effie and skins she gets rescued by cook god i love cook um, I'm trying to think of another one. It happens in Looking for Alaska. It happens in Paper Towns. Yeah, it happens it in, in like, so much of it's everything. It's very dramatic. It's a lot. I feel like there should be rain as well. But as someone with a mood disorder, like, you feel insane when your moods, like, are up and then when they're down. And I think one of the things I hate the most that this media does is it, like, completely 
simplifies and misportrays what manic means. Yeah. Like, in that manic pixie dream girl sense, like, it just, we lose all understanding of what mania actually is, and it's so harmful. Well, especially (laughs) when we have this history of treating women's mental illnesses like they're games, right? Like, they're not real. Yeah. I think it's another thing that that trope is kind of doing. Yeah. It's like, this can be healed with love. Yeah. I'll just love you and yeah. then you will be better, which is like one of uh, one of my least favorite yeah. tropes is this idea that somehow this romantic yeah. pairing solves your problems. And it feels, though this isn't always true, like Silver Lang's playbook, technically Bradley Cooper is the main character in that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, though that plot line is still bad. It's the same Two crazy shit. people yeah. come together and they fall in love yeah. and they fix each other. But... It, it's often, you know, women are being fixed by their romantic plot yeah. lines. And it's not that, you know, like, good relationships support you. Yeah. Um, but this idea that it is fixed, like, especially if what it's fixing is mental illness. Like, yeah. That's not how that works. Also, the idea that, like, I don't know, like, there's, and I think it just teaches bad lessons for both men and women. Like, for women, it's, like, the lesson that, like, you need somebody to fix that when really probably what you need is a therapist of medication, or at least yes. in my case, that's yeah. what I needed. Um, and it teaches men that, like, they, that, that's, you know, that, like, that is, like, romantic, or you know what I mean? Like, that in somebody is something to save, or is yeah. something, and, like, that is ultimately not helpful either for anybody in this situation. No. And I think that's, like, you know, we should also do an episode on, because, like, I, I made a comment earlier, and it, and it it was wrong. Men aren't afforded em- emotional complexity, so, like, we could talk about that as well, but it's just, like, y- you know, like, it doesn't equip you to deal with any of those things in reality. Yeah these girls are in the middle of, like, emotional, mental breakdowns, and these men are like, but I love you. Yeah. And you're like, not the point, Steve! No! <laughs> not the point! No. I think it's, like, this idea that it's, like, you are in some way fundamentally broken, and when I say that, I don't mean that mental illness isn't difficult, but that's, like, not the way that I would frame it in society. Like, my thing is, is, like, something happened, whether it's, like, innately biological or whether environmentally something happened and, like, your brain stopped forming pathways the way that it is meant to form pathways. Yes. And so you somehow need to support that. Sometimes that comes in the form of unhealthy coping mechanisms. Yes. Sometimes that comes in the form of medication or, or whatever it is that you need to fill that hole. But it's not like something's broken. It's just, like, something happened. Yeah. And, like, you know, we have to, like, work with it. Yes. Well, and I know we're getting, because it's such a great topic, I know we're getting, like, long, but something, because we're talking about fiction, it's not fiction, but we're talking about books and mediums, so here it is. <laughs> There's this book by Esme Wang, I really love her a lot, it's called The Collected Schizophrenias, it's an incredible book, but it basically, like, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia, but because she looks the way that she does, which is, like, very femme-presenting, like, very put-together, um, it took her, I think... 23 years to get diagnosed and like that is terrifying um and also so like who gets treated for mental illness and how do you get treated when you have it and when you're a woman and when you're she's also a woman of color when you're a woman who looks a certain way i would that like if i could recommend anything like if you're not a nonfiction reader and i could recommend anything i would recommend that because it it really tackles this discussion of like mental illness as like for some people it isn't a cure situation for some people it isn't it's it's treatment and it's lifelong treatment and like 
that doesn't mean that they're broken that doesn't mean that they're less than in any way it just means that like that's how that's their life and like I think when it comes to women in particular particularly women of color like who we let have mental illnesses and how we let those people interact in society I don't know it's something like worth examining and I think it's definitely either hurt or helped by representation well, this in is fiction. The thing, right? It comes back to like how much the the fictional narratives that are presented to us time and time again in books, in television, in movies, in music really impact yeah. the way that we maneuver ourselves through the world. It, going all the way back to our episode on hysteria where yeah. Ophelia yeah, um, I was Shakespeare influenced the way that f- female um, mental illness was being diagnosed, mm-hmm. and it's the same thing. She doesn't look like someone with mental illness because we know what someone with mental mm-hmm. illness looks like. We've seen it a thousand times, and it looks like this, and it acts mm-hmm. like this, and it does this. And and I think that feeds into all aspects of life, which is why certain things, like people are like, well, that's just a song, or that's just a book, or that's just a this. And I'm like, yes, but when you do that over and over yeah. again, when we live in this society that doesn't have open conversations, yeah. you know, like, this then becomes the assumed narrative. I mean, people get all up in arms about porn all the time, and we'll discuss the, yeah. you know, good sides and bad sides of, of porn and how it's altering our, our expectations of yeah. sex, but it's the same with, with fiction in every other area. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why songs like Baby It's Cold Outside, like, there's a valid argument for being like, yeah, we shouldn't play that song. Is that song the root of all evil? No. No. Do I think that song was written as a song about rape? No. Yeah. Is that a song that perpetuates the idea that courtship looks like a woman saying no until a man makes her say yes? Yes. Do I think that that exists in lots of other areas? Yes. Do I think that that is something that we need to kill? Yes. Like, it, it's, it's a, this, I mean, that song is, like, a great example because it so clearly lays out the script for that mm-hmm. interaction, right? And we see that time and time again, this representation of romance as, as, dogged pursuit Mm -hmm. as stubborn pursuit regardless of what she says and in the end yes of course she's in love with him like i remember having this discussion about this dumb song with my dumb parents and like (laughs) them being like well she wants to have sex with him and i'm like i know that she wants to have sex with him the song was written by a man (laughs) of course she wants to have sex with him that is in fact the problem that they're setting up this situation in which she is saying no and she means yes yeah and that is a problem because then we go into situations and women yeah. say no and men go and not always unfairly because of the way that this is set up, this whole system is set up. They go, this is a game and I'm supposed yeah. to convince you yeah. that you want to stay. You're going to keep saying no because you have to protect your modesty or whatever. You're like playing hard to get. And I'm going to keep saying yes, 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 yes. And it's like, no, <laughs> that cannot be the dialogue. We should not be supporting that dialogue. We should not be, you know, playing music where it's like, isn't this romantic? It's not romantic. No. It's scary. Well, I think ultimately what we do is we create cultural canon wherein we're taught not to listen to women. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's it. 
just took all of the words that I said uh, and you summarized them. Well, I would very very well. Well, well, because I because I, I think when it comes down to it, that it's like Ava DuVernay's thing. Like we teach people how to treat other people, and yes. so all of these things on their own, they just seem like what you said, a song or whatever. But what you're doing is you're solidifying and you're creating almost like cultural fact which like yes, yes. that informs how we interact with each other and when you're not you don't have a good education system and when you don't have parents who know how to talk about things when you don't have any other support no one has anywhere else to turn no one has anywhere else to turn <laughs> and again we like we've set up this culture in which we don't we're not allowed to say things out loud no it's when bizarre. somebody is pursuing you sexually for instance just like in that song yeah. he's not saying suck my dick <laughs> he's saying uh baby it's cold outside stay over yeah which is like you know like every every i, don't, I just think every girl has to listen to that song and she like can pull up viscerally yes like an image in her brain of a boy saying something totally innocuous that you don't really have a reason to say no to like mm-hmm. watch a movie have the strength here's a puppy i don't know <laughs> and you're like no i actually i can't i don't i'm, I allergic, can't. To I'm dogs. allergic to looking at puppies <laughs> i can't i can't look uh, where my eyes he's like no no like come look at my eyes. So you're like oh my aunt's calling me i gotta go yeah i gotta go and he's like no I'm allergic. but you're not allowed to say no i don't want to have sex with you yeah uh and so then you get into this weird space where you're making up excuses and they're mm-hmm. making up fake lies and nobody is saying anything and so when we're living in this world where we're all just not saying what we mean and you have to decode things you default to the narrative the script that you've been given yeah no i think you have and we've talked about this before and i think you have like incredibly like intelligent interesting things to say so we should do an episode on like cultural canon about like how it is that we communicate uh in ways that don't make any sense. <laughs> and, and I just think, like, because no one had ever brought that to my attention before um, in that way where, like, you're aware of it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, and I, and I don't know. Yeah, no. Like, I, I, and then you think about it and you're like, no, of course. Like, we communicate in a way that's absolutely bonkers. Like, well, what and, is that? <laughs> and then it's like, you know, when you can't communicate, you have to just go off of social cues and, and, and where do we get those? And we get those from movies. And yeah. we get those from books. Like, that's where we get this. It, like, one of the it, the reasons that people say things like, well, consent isn't sexy is because when you watch a sex scene, there's no consent. And it's changing the dialogue around that is really important, right? A lot of the stuff you're saying, like, how we have our own internalized trauma is, like, definitely true. But then it's, like, I think it's heaped on by the fact that a lot of the narratives were shown are like yeah don't talk about that trauma it's not sexy yeah you see this sex scene yeah lively talking about her trauma no absolutely dan asking if she wants to have sex no we just know that we're having sex and nobody has any issues and we're just going sex is like just one example i don't know why i always come back to it it's because it's my issue that's why well i don't know like like the the mood disorders like when you see like representation after representation of ways in which nobody's talking about it but they're just like you know whatever you you don't know how to talk about it with somebody like you don't know how to explain like hey like you know what actually i'm really sorry i said that i was responding to a parent yeah not to you um and i'm gonna be more aware of that in the future that's something i just learned how to do this year yeah 
I am 26 years old and have now just learned to look at my partner and be like, oh, you know what? That thing that I yelled at you for this morning, you know what? I was yelling at my mom. I wasn't yelling at you. Real sorry. That shit's hard, though. Well, I just learned how to do it now, so. I know, but I think it's hard because there's a bit of me that's like, part of it is irrational and then part of it just feels like I learned a lesson. (laughs) (laughs) I I think both things can be true. Nathan's mom called me out on this when I was over there for dinner. She was like, well, is that Nathan? And I was like, no, but it's not anybody until it is. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say that to her because she's his mom. But, like, that's, like, because yeah. we're talking about money, right? Yeah. Money was an issue with my parents when they were together. It's an issue with his family that he's with now. Yeah. They kind of hold it over your head. Yeah. And, like, that wasn't the issue that my parents had. I mean, my mom bankrolled his whole life yeah and not that she would but she's bitter about that a little bit because yeah yeah, yeah. he used her yeah and so she should be but you know and then we he moved on to his family now where it's like anytime every everything is tit for tat right everything is keeping score yeah so like i that to me is like yeah like money doesn't matter until the moment that it matters and then it's too late to do anything about it yeah absolutely so i would rather just do something about it before and it's like no like just let him spend this money which is like fine but i'm just saying like it's not a problem until it's a problem and then it's too late and then i can't go back and be like well you wanted to do this you'll be like well i wanted to do it under false pretenses because (laughs) i thought that you were blah 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 it's like no 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 like, let's just sit the ground over for This is a tangent, but I just mean that... I know, So I there know. are some times where, yes, I'm not reacting to anything that you've done. I'm reacting to things that I've seen play out before. But there's a bit of me that's like, but that doesn't mean that that's not a, a little bit valid. I think it depends on what it is, yes. and I think it depends on how you react. Because, like, yes. here's the thing. Like, everything... I think both of those things can be true at the same time. Yes. And I think to some extent you're right. And I think, like, the inclination is to protect yourself, and the way in which you do that is by controlling your own actions, right? Yes. But, like, there have been times where I have said things that are completely out of line. My feelings were not out of line. But, yeah. I was not justified... I was not unjustified in feeling distressed. But what came out of my mouth was not justified. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say, oh, I was talking to my mom. Yes. It wasn't that it was like, oh, hey, like, what I was feeling. So, like, I'm just trying to think of, like, a very, like, generic example. Um, I get really insecure when I feel like um, I'm I'm not being thought of because, like, I, I think of lots of people and yeah. obviously you know my parents, you understand how yes. that happens. Um, and there are times when that is completely valid, when I'm like, oh, actually, you should have thought about me there. Yeah. But the way to talk about that is to be like, hey, actually, like, that felt really shitty. Can we, like, do this differently in the future? And I'll, I'll like, tell you what it is that I need. The way not to do that is to be like, oh, my God, like, I don't understand why you don't love me. You're, like, I, I don't get it. <laughs> right, right. That's not productive for anybody. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah. that's what I mean when I'm yelling. Yes. Because, like, this person that I'm with hasn't done anything to show me that, like, that's who they are. You know what yes, I mean? yes but I'm yelling at them like they've given me an entire lifetime yes. of whatever, which my parents have. Yes. <laughs> so it's not about that, like, a person is unjustified in, like, taking those lessons, but it's that, like, you don't have to punish your partner or your friends or whoever it is right. for the lifetime of that that your parents gave you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's valid. But I didn't know how to, and this is a tangent now, but, like, I didn't know how to communicate that. Like, I had no idea how to talk about that, or and I didn't even realize I was doing it. 
I had no idea that I, I was just like, and it's not that I'm irrational. That's not it. Yeah. I have very justified reasons for being like hurt and the way that I am. It's just that like, he didn't do that to me. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, man. <laughs> got deep. Got real deep. Yeah, I got real deep. As we do. Started with Hockey Rock. Yeah, I know. We you here. know what the Hockey Rock I got deep too, so like, <laughs> nothing can ever stay pure. Those are your lessons. Got deep. <laughs> go deep. Go yeah. deep or go home. Yeah. It's the erotical oh, way. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Christ, Murphy. Um, okay, I think, I think. That's probably it. Yeah, I'm so sorry you have to edit this. I know I'm excited. Oh, good. I'm it's fine. gonna be good. Uh, next month we're doing porn. Is it porn? I believe so. Fuck yeah. I have so much to say about all the porn I don't watch. <laughs> but I do watch a lot of documentaries about porn. I, I, I see, I don't watch documentaries about porn, but I do watch porn. Like, so. I feel like Nathan's constantly like, I don't get it you have this obsession with like documentaries about porn i mean i get it because you approach everything as a researcher i just love listening to people talk about things i i totally get it we'll have two perspectives on the matter one good i'm very excited actually maybe we should watch a porn no i think that you're gonna think that's a good idea that'd be terrible i won't i won't make it i will make it like I don't know how long porn is, yeah. but like one minute in. <laughs> I don't know how long As soon as someone are. says something related to sex, I will be like, and, and see. done. Yeah. We're done. Like, even when I watch the sex scenes in movies that are like PG-13. I know. I can't. I know. I'm like, <gasps> why are they making those noises? I do, in fact, watch movies with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sitting through that, uh, folks. You know, we blessed you with our We're thoughts, hoot. our voices. Yeah. Uh, follow us on the gram if you're not doing that already. Yeah. Awkward erotica. Is, that, is it Aqua Rocco or is it Awkward Erotica? I appreciate it. It's Awkward Erotica. It's our website. Though. Yeah. No, our website's also awkward. It's all there. Go to the Instagram. Everything's there. Instagram. Everything's in the show notes of this thing. Follow us on, like, a lot of shit now. We're not yeah. just on Apple Music and Spotify anymore. We're on everything. Listen to us multiple times on different, you know, host sites. Yeah, we have a PayPal. Pay a pal. Pay a pal. We're your pals. Be a pal. Pay them. And uh, we love you. All right. Well, I, okay. I don't know about that. All right. Slow. I knew you were going to have a problem with that. That's too much for me. Who are you talking to your parents? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That was so good. <laughs> I'm not usually good at that, so. All right. So sharp. I know. Bye. Bye.